0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Hockey News on the E podcast. I'm Jacob Stoller from the Hockey News alongside Justin Cohn from the Fort Wayne Journal Gazette, who's joining us from a hotel room in Cincinnati, I believe. I am in the Queen City. Yes,
1: recovering from a game six and getting ready for a game seven. So, this is the life of a
0: minor pro hockey writer uh, during the playoffs. Pretty big game six, a six nothing win by the Fort Wayne Comets. Puncher ticket to a deciding game seven. This, this has to be the dream for a writer like yourself on the beat, no? Uh, I guess
1: the dream would be Game 7 in, in the finals, and I have actually had that before. Uh, I've had the ultimate Game 7, to be honest with you. OT? It, in 2008, so International Hockey League, and we talked about this last episode. This was a 1-1-1-1-1-1-1 formatted series, right? so keep that in mind. I witnessed the Comets come back from a three-to-one series deficit, force Game 7, then win the championship in triple overtime oh of Game 7. And on top of that, they trailed the game three-to-one. So they trailed the series three-to-one, trailed Game 7 three-to-one, then won in triple overtime with a rookie named Justin Hodgman, uh, fresh out of juniors, uh, scoring the uh, the triple overtime winner, so it's pretty hard to top uh, a game seven like that. But I've, I've had a few of them, yeah.
0: I mean, honestly, triple overtime—that seems like you know when you hear those stories of uh, in between intermissions, or whatever they're eating pizzas and stuff, and and all that. Like, what what's the beat writers' intermission fuel I mean one of those marathons? <laughs> I, I hate to I hate to admit this,
1: but I, I mean, pretty much any beat writer, I think, would back me up on this. Like people are always like, oh, gosh, what was it like to see a game like that? And it's like, really, a lot of times those games are the worst. Like those are the, the games deadline, right? Because the deadlines, because there's so much going on. Um, you know, that particular triple overtime game, uh, I believe it was a Sunday night um you know it's going late and you're worried are you going to make the paper you got to have multiple versions of the stories but but really I mean just the, the short answer is there's just so much going on that you don't have time to really enjoy the game and really kind of breathe um I used to compete with another b-writer who was an afternoon paper so he had all the time in the world and I was always so jealous of him in that respect because he could you know sit there and watch the games, but. You know, I mean, the, the best example of this is I covered four Super Bowls and those games. I mean, in particular, like you really you don't get to enjoy anything because it's so late and there's just so much going on. So I'd love to tell you that, yeah, I was I was kicking back during the, the second intermission last night and, and eating some Cincinnati chili and really enjoying myself. But really, I'm just banging ORA on the keys and, and trying to keep my wits about me and hope that it <laughs> that I make deadline. Wait, but triple overtime, that doesn't make the paper, does it? Um, I don't remember specifically what we did. I believe that we did make the paper. I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna brag a, a little bit here that I feel that I'm better on deadline than anybody I've ever met in terms of speed. Like, I mean, I can bring in witnesses. I've done, I'm not, this isn't ideal, but I've done stories like start to finish in like, we're talking like seven, eight minutes. I mean, I'll, right. I'll bang out an entire you know 25 inch story so that year i believe we did make the paper barely i think that we actually held deadline because it was such a big deal and you know common hockey is such a big deal but um yeah i've definitely had some dicey ones where you barely make it or you don't quite make it because of a time zone change or something like that but uh yeah it's 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 always interesting being a beat writer in those big games and, and you don't always get to write as good a story as you hope just because there's so much going on that that, you know, civilians don't understand.
0: So let's set the scene for this game seven coming up. Um, you know, game six was a commanding one, a commanding win for Fort Wayne. A lot of NHL, HL prospects playing a big part for them. Ryan Fanti, Beck Warren, Matthew Borders, uh, Yashiro Hirano and whatnot. But let, let's set the scene for what you've seen from the series so far. Well, I mean, you got to start with Ryan Fancy. He's an Edmonton Oilers prospect.
1: He's had a wild season. We've, we've talked about him a bunch on here. Uh, he's got a, a, a fight. He's got a goal during the regular season. He assisted on a huge goal last night, scored by William Provo, who is fresh out of um, juniors. And, uh, you know, comes way out of the net, makes a big save, is able to kind of shuttle the puck up ice to Drake Rimsa, who was Uh, a Bakersfield guy, and then to Provo for a a goal and a 3 nothing lead. So Fancy has two shutouts in the last uh, four games and set an all-time franchise record for most shutout minutes in a single postseason, which is pretty amazing because Fort Wayne's been playing for 71 years. This record (laughs) had stood since 1960. Uh, I, I forget what the number is. It, it was basically about 120 minutes
0: of shutout hockey. Wait, quick they, question, Justin. Do they keep the records like Fort Wayne, the franchise, no matter what league? They do. Yes. I like that. I'm all and, for that.
1: Well, and there's there's some interesting conversations to be had, probably for another show, but I'll just I'll give you a little tease, which is yeah. the original Fort Wayne franchise, it moved in 1990 to Albany and became the Albany River Rats. Okay, but the current ownership group swooped in, bought the defunct, I believe it was the Flint franchise and moved it to Fort Wayne immediately. So they never missed any hockey in Fort Wayne and they were able to get the Comets name back and everything like that. So it was seamless from a fan standpoint and they got better ownership, much better ownership because of this. That's a whole other story, too. Um, But if you want to like sort of poke the bear with the comets or the comet franchise, you could conveniently bring up, Hey, you know, your franchise hasn't actually been playing in Fort Wayne for 71 years because it did technically move to Albany, New York. Mm -hmm. So it's semantics, but yes, they do use the same record book. It can get very complicated because They were at the triple A level for many, many, many years,
0: then moved to the double A level. Okay, I don't like that anymore. Never mind. Take back my vote of call. Well, a little all over the place. I
1: would be the first to agree with you on that, but I actually like it because I covered a a bunch of old IHL hockey. And then the quality of play at double A hockey when they moved, and we're talking 1999, 2000 was commensurate with what we had been seeing the couple seasons before. So, you know, sure. but you know, the, the, if you if you go through a record book of any minor league hockey team that's been around, like you're gonna find all kinds of weird things. Like that's true. The 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 caliber of play changed, or the playoff series are wild. Like if you go through Fort Wayne, there were years where it was round robin, or best of three, or best of five. Like you know, all kinds of weird stuff. So at the end of the day, it's just like let's just put it all together and not confuse people a bunch. But sure. but it's true. Ryan Fancy, to get back at this, is. You know, the record he broke belonged to somebody who was, you know, you could argue one of the top 20 goaltenders in the world at that time because it's 1960 uh, versus now. So is, is that the same thing or not? I don't know. Uh, so Ryan Fanti has been doing incredible things. Important to note, he was not the game one starter. Ryland Peranto, who had a cup of coffee with Abbotsford, uh, was but Ryan Fandy has totally taken over. He's played every game since game one and has been incredible. And I, I think he's the real deal in terms of being an Oilers prospect. And he's really showed it, you know, with his work during the playoffs this, uh, you know, this series.
0: He's got a 9.55 save percentage in five games. That's pretty, pretty rock solid, and close to a brick wall as you can ask for. Well, and in Cincinnati, just to
1: throw this out there, Cincinnati's goalie Beck Warm on an AHL deal was, you know, trading shots with him, you know, really for most of the series, he ends up getting pulled in game six, which I don't know the full story yet. Uh, He was pulled with them down three to nothing going into the third period. If he was healthy, which I think is most people's assumption, boy, that's a real debatable thing because is he, is Jason Payne friend of the show just pulling him to kind of save him for game seven Uh, because it was three to nothing. They were very much in that game. Like, and it was closer than three to nothing would indicate. So to me, if you're pulling the goalie just to save him, like that sent a really bad message to me, to the team. And also to the building, mm-hmm. but you know, maybe there's something else. I don't know. Maybe he tweaked something and they just wanted to preserve him. I, I would hope that's what it is, but what that's why Jason Payne gets the, the, the big bucks. He's obviously a better coach than I am. And we'll see how it works out in game seven.
0: Before we get to uh, predictions and stuff like that, because you did pick the comments to lose in six, we'll get to that in, in just a bit. A lot of prediction chatter there. Um, what happened with the injuries? And someone told you to stop writing?
1: Well, yeah. So, you know, this is kind of interesting. I mean, you got to keep in mind, um, you know, at this level, there are not a lot of people even trying to, you know, delve into injuries. You know, why are guys not playing in this game or that game? And obviously we're, uh, we're, reporting on them every day. And I, you know, I've, I've got to do my job, which is, you know, why is this guy out? And maybe they tell me and maybe they don't. And, you know, maybe I have it on good authority. So, you know, I, I typically uh, just go with what they tell me, you know, if somebody tells me on the record, Hey, this guy's got a shoulder injury, I'm going to roll with it. Mm. Um, but of course, as we know, in hockey, usually the closer you get to the playoffs, it stops becoming knee injury it starts becoming
0: upper body injury <laughs> like Paul, Paul Maurice the other day said that every single player on the team is a game time decision that's the I, that's the epitome of of the uh circus I've always wanted to do a graphic
1: that explains what coaches mean when they give you an injury so in other words if a guy you know if he says oh it's an you know upper body injury he's probably means it's a knee you know if he says oh it's it's a it's a a lower extremity injury he probably means a concussion like you know you can't trust anything is the point here so the the interesting thing and and i don't have any objection with this i actually love this i love that a player feels comfortable enough to come up to me and even say something but a player did pull me aside last night and he said hey can you do me a favor? Can you stop writing about our injuries? And it was a little bit, you know, you could tell a little bit angered by something. And I was like, well, I thought I'd been being pretty vague. And just specifically, what did I say? And he told me, you know, this is what you said. It wasn't just upper body. I was a, a smidge more specific. And, um, you know, and he was right. So, but th- that puts me in a weird position on a, a few levels, because it means, do I not do my job in deference to what a player is kind of asking me as a favor. Um, Can I, do I stop reporting an injury that I've already reported and suddenly start calling it lower body or upper body or whatever? Uh, You know, because if you now anything I do, I could be doing at my peril, right? This guy may never talk to me. The whole locker room may not talk to me. There were a couple other players that overheard this, but you know, I made the decision right away. I was like, sure. No problem. Like this is not a hill that I'm willing to die on. It's not that big of a deal to me. You know, if it's a knee, I can just say lower body injury, and I don't think the fans will complain. Uh, So he was really nice about it. I like that he asked me. But it's interesting. I don't know. Have you ever had a position like that, or what do you what do you think you'd do?
0: Um, I have had one situation in the AHL where I I went. So would you reference someone else referencing as a shoulder injury? I kind of went off of that, and then I, in an interview with the coach, in one of my questions, referenced that, and they caught me uh, on it and said, like, who said it was, who said it was a shoulder injury? Or, or call everyone, I can't remember. It was Sheldon Keefe, who's now with the Leafs. Right. Um, and I was like, well, that's just what. And then I, I don't know if I hesitated to say the player that said I kind of just, like, froze. And he was like, well, that I'm not discussing injuries. So that was my one experience that I had with it. Um, I personally think, look, if we're talking like macro here, I think that professional hockey teams, whenever there's betting involved, I believe they need to disclose injuries and the nature of it. I'm a big proponent of that. If you're going to profit off of gambling endeavors, you need to be transparent. But if you're kind of in a situation like you're in, which is a unique one as like the beat guy, um, and there isn't sort of that there isn't that overarching kind of angle of the betting or something that the league has to oblige to. It's kind of case by case. I get it. Cause I mean, you got to kind of salvage that relationship and uh, let's say it was like some mysterious story where there was a big, you know, outline to find out what the injury was. That's different, but that's kind of my take on it. But I want to get to um, beat writers and relationships and Fort Wayne comments and Justin Cohn right now, uh, because you shared with me the, what I, what I, I now know is the famous Wichita six story that we got to talk about because you picked Fort Wayne six and well, maybe you're right. Maybe it's Fort Wayne seven, who knows? And this was the championship, but let me just fill those in on it a bit. Actually, how about you do it, Justin? It's, it's your, uh, your story. I'll probably well, miss some things. Well, I mean, it's, it's actually nothing short of amazing
1: that I haven't really heard like a Cincy in, in six or anything yet. I'm sure it's coming. Um, you know, set the set the scene. I, I've made predictions on series uh, as long as I've been doing this. You know, 26 years. If the comets were going into a playoff series, I'll make a prediction. Here's who's going to win. Here's how many games. Uh, most years, including this year, I actually do every series in the league. Uh, I get zero credit for my insane accuracy, which is somewhere around like 85% of series I've gotten right, and a good portion of those I've gotten right to the game. But, of course, like all things, you never hear about what you do right. You only hear about what you get wrong, right? So 2012, uh, I had predicted in the finals that the Comets were going to lose to the Wichita Thunder in five games. I'm sorry, in six games. Excuse me. They were going to lose to the Wichita Thunder in six games. The Comets ended up winning the championship in five games. So this immediately has become a thing. Wichita in six. I mean, here we are 11 years later. It's cooled down a little bit, but I definitely don't go a week without hearing it. And I mean, I'll hear it from my wife. I'll hear it from people at the Fort Wayne Press Box. I I will have former players from that team come out of the woodwork at the strangest times. Just send me a text message. Hey, Wichita in six. We haven't forgotten, you know, whatever. So uh, to set the scene here a little bit, so Fort Wayne wins the championship, and I don't know what made me even recognize I should do this, but I'm about to walk into the locker room after they've won. And something was like, You should turn on a camera. There's gonna be some reaction here, or you're just I, so I walked in with the camera on, and then they are already chanting Wichita and six. Like that was had become the mantra, and I kind of didn't even know it. Like it had become this big thing. With the team, So I walked in and they're chanting Wichita on six and it became this very funny thing. It got picked up by Yahoo Sports at the time, went totally viral. That video was the number one video let's on our newspaper's it. website for six years. Yeah. So there you go. Let's
0: play it. Connor, let's play the video. This is.
1: Uh...
0: It's a locker right now. Cone, you. that is Bakersfield Connors head coach Colin Chalk uh. I'm just kidding I love Coney I give him a hard time but he calls it nice season I respect him uh-huh. Jerry. Too good. Too I mean, good. it's, 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 it's
1: funny, you know, like there's a few Easter eggs in there. I mean, Colin chalk and I actually became pretty good friends. I covered him for a very long time. Um, actually, yeah, uh, I don't know. There's a, there's a lot of stories he and I have, uh, but there's Al Sims in there, which was Fort Wayne's coach, former NHL coach was Bobby Orr's defense partner. Um, just a lot of great players on that team. And, uh, so, you know, I don't mind, I don't mind it. You know, I like, putting myself out there with predictions. I think that's sort of, you know, a lot of the fun of it. See how much you do know, but people need to always kind of, you know, take it with a grain of salt, you know, everything's just an educated guess. And so going into this playoff, I mean, look,
0: I actually seven.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I'm five for seven in the ECHL playoffs so far. I mean, in this series, I don't think anybody in the world could blame me for not picking Fort Wayne to win. They still could lose. So I could still just be a game off, but, um, You know, it's it's, it's just a funny thing. And, you know, like I said, you know, players find motivation in the strangest things. You know, I mean, I don't know your experiences with it, but I can remember a time where I would walk into locker rooms, visiting locker rooms and see articles I had written posted all over the walls, you know, bulletin board material. Sometimes you get a quote and you just know this is going to be bulletin board material. And the player that came up to me yesterday asked asked me the layoff injuries. Why is he doing that? Because the team – Cincinnati's reading my stuff and they're trying to hone in on this player's specific injury and use it to their advantage. So, you know, we do play this kind of fun role, whether people acknowledge it or not as reporters at this level.
0: Let's move on to some of those series that we want to get to, which is Idaho versus Utah to start. Utah wins the first two on the road, had a chance for a massive upset and then lost three in a row um, at home and then game six. So they lost four in a row and, and, kind of fizzled out there what happened
1: yeah so there's so many interesting ways to look at this series and it's really hard not to look at it as Utah really missed a chance here so for people who haven't paid attention I mean this was the uh, ECHL equivalent it had the potential of the ECHL equivalent of Panthers over Bruins Uh, The Idaho Steelheads, the best regular season team in ECHL history. Some would say just the best team they'd ever seen. And Utah, uh, you know, they were okay during the regular season. Now they got a bunch of guys back from the AHL before the playoffs. The biggest one being Trent Minor, their goaltender. Uh, Like we talked about last week, they go out, win the first two games at Idaho. And then to come back in a 2-3-2 series and fail to get a single game on home ice has got to hurt. But here's the big thing. So the last four games of that six game series, all tied after the second period, all tied after the third period. So they all go to overtime and Idaho wins all four of them. So, I mean, Utah to lose four straight overtime games, including three on home ice. I mean, that's that's about the most painful way to go out. I can think of. (laughs) Uh,
0: So, you know, other things from that. Sorry, go ahead. Just impressive that Idaho won four in a row with their backs against the wall. I know they're one of the greatest teams in the CHR regular season history, but four times – like, other way to put it, Utah had four chances to win. Oh, exactly. And, like, and yes. great goaltending yes. at both
1: ends. And I, I'm not going to tell you for a second that Utah played poorly. I mean, Utah played well out of their minds. Um, you know, we talked all season about Idaho's defense, and that really – that's what won the series. I mean, not just the goaltending of Adam Shield, but uh, they just never get caught flat-footed. And they are so deep with guys on the blue line. Owen Hedrick, I believe, had six assists uh, in that series. I don't think Matt Register was even playing. Patrick Kudla Uh, you know, there's, there's a guy named Cody Heiskanen who I really like, and he's like the fifth best defenseman on that team. And he would be one or two on probably 20 other teams in the league. I mean, it's just insane what they've got going over in Idaho. And the funny thing is you would think that they are just totally stacked with NHL, AHL guys on the blue line. And that's not the case. It's like half of them are ECHL contracted guys. So they have really found that perfect marriage of getting your affiliates, recruiting going out and getting a veteran like Matt register and putting it all together and that's that elixir that every team is trying to find and very few have been able to so far so now Idaho uh I had picked a sweep they end up winning in six but now they play the series that we had predicted they're going to take on the Allen Americans who had uh a little more trouble with the Kansas city Mavericks than I thought they were going to, but they move on. And this is like the series that if you watch the mountain division, this is what you want it because you've got maybe the league's greatest offense in Allen with all these huge names, Colton Hargrove, Hank Crone, Jack Combs, Leon Finley. I mean, it's just insane versus this insane defense. And I mean, it could be a real show, but Idaho uh, you know, they dominated Allen during the regular season. So if you're going off that regular season, it should be Idaho. But I think it's going to be a much closer series now than I thought going into the playoffs.
0: Moving to the South, Florida versus South Carolina. And that brings us to our prospect of the week, Florida goalie Cam Johnson. Against the Stingrays, he was 4-2 and with a 947 save percentage and a 1.61 goals against average. Stopped 20 to 29 shots in a Game 6 victory at South Carolina. And furthermore, he's on a Charlotte AHL contract. Why is he a prospect of the week, Justin?
1: Well, I mean, look, I, I picked South Carolina to win the whole thing. They bow out in the first round. I'll defend myself a little bit, and I believe I even said it when it's we made these. When, when we made the, the ECHL picks, though, I think I said, I was like, nothing's going to surprise me out of the South. I'm picking South Carolina to win. But I also had that first-round series going to seven games against Florida. Like, I sensed, like, both those series really could go either way, and they did. So, you know, Cam Johnson is the single biggest reason that Florida won that series. And a lot of that is just experience. You know, he ha- he led them to the Kelly Cup last season. I mean, you never want to face the defending champs in the first round. Um, and Florida knows what they're doing. They have a ton of experience. Uh, Cam Johnson, he's only 28. Uh, you know, goalies, they age a little bit later. Uh, or I'm sorry, they mature a little bit later. I mean, he's still got a shot to move up. The one thing, though, is if you look at his AHL numbers, Not always with the strongest teams, but they do dip a considerable amount. So, uh, you know, if he has another great playoff run, though, I think he'll get a more serious look up front. uh, Sorry, the next level. And he just looked really good against a really good, uh, deep, South Carolina offense. Players we've talked about like Bear Hughes out there. I mean, these guys are finishers. And he really had to outplay another really good goaltender in Clay Stevenson uh, who was uh, on an NHL contract. And he looked really good with South Carolina. So, uh, you know, Florida had a lot of things clicking. Joe Pendenza, he's a player that really stood out. He had three goals, seven points in that first round series. Logan Lambden, that's a guy I've liked for a while. He's got three goals at six points. Sean Jostling, He's an interesting player. He's on a Wilkes-Barre-Scranton contract, so he ended up uh, in Florida, I believe, via trade. He's looked really good as well. He's got four goals and five points. So Florida, though, defense, experience, those are the things that I saw really come through. South Carolina, even though they were in the finals two years ago, the pandemic season, they seemed a little less um, equal to the task of the big stakes, you know, even going into to Game Six, you know, like there was not a ton of physicality in that series, which I was a little surprised by. But especially in Game Six, I felt like South Carolina was gripping the sticks a little too tight on home ice, and Florida was able to feast on that.
0: Absolutely, um, team of the week, Jacksonville Iceman. Uh, love to know a couple interesting people here, but Charles Williams uh, on ECHL deal kind of stealing the spotlight recently for them well
1: uh he played the first four games of the series and we saw this in a few series around the league uh fort wayne uh cincinnati um south carolina where they went not with the nhl or well let me me put it this way they went prospect the lower they went with the lower contracted guy. Okay, so Fort Wayne, Cincinnati, they went with the guys on ECHL contracts instead right. of the guys on NHL AHL contracts. That's weird, like rare. I, it's I don't ever really remember a year like that. I mean, I'll have to ask some other people and see if I'm off on this. But usually, it's it's almost like you know an unwritten rule that if you have a contracted guy as a goalie, he's going game one because that's what the NHL or AHL club. Wants, But we've seen teams divert from that. So in Jacksonville, Charles Williams started out that series. And and he played well. Uh, But in Game 5, it started to go awry. He got replaced by Olaf Lindblom. Since that, Lindblom has stopped 44 of 46 shots. He is a Rangers, New York Rangers contract. Um, So he came in in Game 5, 844 into the first period. The Icemen were down two to nothing to the Swamp Rabbits. Once he came in and they made the change, Jacksonville scores five straight goals and they win five to four. Then they win the decisive game four to two at home. So Jacksonville, another team that I had picked to lose, they move on to this next series against Florida. That is a Florida rivalry there. Couple guys to watch from Florida. Aaron Nazarian, we talked about him on one of our first episodes. Nice to see him coming through in the playoffs. Um, he scored the first two goals in Game Six for the Icemen, so that really got them going, and they scored on three of five power plays. And you know, power plays have been a huge part of uh, the ECHL playoffs, probably even more than previous seasons. And Craig Martin, he's another guy I like he's been a beast up front for the Icemen. He's got three goals, and uh, I, I think I wrote this wrong. I think it's six points in the series, uh, but he's been a goal scorer for them. And uh, so
0: Jacksonville looking good. Well, you made a – it's funny. You talk about Charles Williams' ECHL contract, a guy getting the nod. I mean, we're seeing teams have success with very few AHL, NHL guys this year. Allen, Cincinnati. Is, is this a rarity, like, to see this – you know, those two teams do this well without NHL, AHL guys? Or is that just another example of, you know, maybe it's not completely shocking that they went with the better goaltender?
1: Well – You know, coaches, first of all, I mean, there's a couple points there. You know, coaches, of course, they want the freedom to just go with the goalie they want. They, of course, course. you want to go with the hot hand. You want to go with who was better against this team during the regular season, all those factors they put in there. But sometimes your hands are tied. As a fan, though, I mean, a fan, you just want the team to win. You want the best guy for the job. And they don't always understand that. And, you know, as I've said before, I have seen affiliations fall apart because of this single issue which goal he is playing in game one of the playoffs. Um, but to your other point, um, you know, there's a wide mix of things going on in these playoffs as it pertains to affiliations. So on one side, you've got a team like Toledo, which got, I don't remember the exact number, maybe seven guys sent down on the eve of the playoffs from the Grand Rapids Griffins who didn't make the AHL playoffs. Now, If you're a fan in a rival city, you are probably sitting there like, oh, well, what the heck? You know, these guys weren't here all season. You're just loading up. You know, is this even legal? Well, you know, you got to remember part of the name of the game here is development. So if you're Grand Rapids, if you're the Detroit Red Wings, you want guys getting playoff experience. If these guys were really Toledo guys that were signed by Grand Rapids as a favor, that's the name of the game. But then you've got a team like Allen. And you said, hey, two nhl contracted guys one of them's their goalie the other is zachary mascotti <clears throat> excuse me allen uh is a, a different sort of market sort of like fort wayne where there's you know some history there and they like to build their team with quote unquote their guys you know like colton saucerman i actually had this conversation with somebody colton saucerman He looks like an Allen American. He's got this great big beard. He'll play an offensive style. He'll get physical with you. I mean, there are certain guys that you're just like, that's an Allen guy. So I believe that Allen is just less concerned with affiliates, less concerned with getting those prospects. They would like to put together a team with their types of guys because that's what they've had a lot of success with, and that's what we're seeing this year. And there is definitely an upside to it because you know who your roster is going to be. Well, you
0: chose these guys. Nothing is out of your control except for the goalie, really. but, well, but we kind of mentioned how we were wondering out loud, I think it was last episode or two episodes ago, if there was certain provisions written into the affiliation agreements that covered these things. Because I, I wonder if, like, some teams have things written in and others don't in terms of, like, you have to play, I don't know, NHL, HL. I don't know how you'd word it, but. If you know what I'm saying, just kind of outline. Yeah, that yeah. There.
1: I guess I need to get somebody to be honest with me about that, because I think what you're saying is, like, is it written into the agreement that, like, hey, Comets, you have to start Ryan Fancy in game one?
0: Yeah, I feel like there's an unspoken rule, per se. That's where things get really gray area and yeah. messy. I think it is more of an unspoken, but I will try and
1: and find out on that. And But, you know, part of the ECHL playoffs, I hate to say it, but there is this great element of luck involved you know not to give you another Fort Wayne example but they have a player they committed a spot on their playoff roster to an defenseman named Alex Peters. He's was up in the AHL with Bakersfield. Bakersfield got eliminated. Everybody in Fort Wayne is sitting here assuming Alex Peters on route. He's going to be here for game 2. Like this is what everybody told us. He never showed up. Okay. Mm-hmm. We still really don't know the reason. Okay. I'm going to take an educated guess. He signed a contract for next season with Bakersfield. Uh, a few days ago. So, I'm again, I'm guessing that somebody made a decision, let's not risk an injury, mess things up for next year, don't go play for Fort Wayne. You know, maybe Bakersfield stepped in, maybe Peter's agent, maybe Peter's himself. But I've also heard, no, 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 he got injured. You know, that's why he's not here. I, I don't know what's going on. But I do know from a fan perspective this, you committed a valuable roster spot to a guy who never showed up. Okay. Mm-hmm. And here they are last night. They literally did not have an extra bot. Like they had to play a forward at defense and you're sitting, you can't help but wonder, Hey, if they had not cut one of these guys to make room for Alex Peters, they'd be in a better spot. And all of this is because of the affiliation. So if you're a team like Allen, you're a team like Adirondack, which was also playing with two contracted guys. Um, You know, you don't have to deal quite as much with this stuff. You had a a, a say in your roster, and that can be a big frustration for fans, and it can be this real X factor in who has success in the playoffs, you know?
0: Absolutely. Any final thoughts before we sign off, Justin? Uh,
1: Well, I, I do feel like we should mention one thing. Reading versus Newfoundland in the North Division, that is how we called it. Um, There were some massive hits on Newfoundland, so waiting to see, I guess, if Zach O'Brien and Orrin Satazo are going to be okay, because they took some brutal hits in that decisive game. I think very dirty hits. Uh, I haven't seen any suspension report from them yet, so I guess they're off scot-free on that. Uh, And Redding... Uh, looked pretty good uh, against uh, Maine. So that's going to be a good series up there. But other than that uh, no, just you know, looking forward to game seven tonight. So we'll see. I guess when we talk for the next episode, uh, I'll either be recapping the comic season or being like, oh, boy, I'm already hearing a lot about uh, Cyclones in, in six from the fans.
0: And one note there, Zach O'Brien is the leading uh, point scorer of the ECHL Cup playoffs so far with nine points in five mm-hmm. games. And before we sign off, Wichita in six. Thank you for listening, guys.